Welcome back to Trial Trends, a monthly podcast brought to you by 4G Clinical, where we tackle big ideas, challenge the status quo, and bring new perspectives to the rapidly changing world of clinical trials. Get ready to disrupt the old ways of thinking and discover the newest trial trends. Welcome to part two of this podcast episode on the evolving perception of pharma. If you have not already done so, please listen to part one, where our guest, Ozade Nolan, tells her personal experience on working within the industry during COVID and being a source of information for her closest friends, family, and even the general public at large. In today's episode, Ozade gives us a peek behind the curtain on what it's like to plan, develop, and execute clinical trials within the pharmaceutical industry. I have actually two questions for you. The first one is that hit home messaging, the buy-in that's required. So ultimately what you're getting the buy-in from isn't necessarily the child that is going through the trial. It's the parent ultimately. So what kind of strategies do you have there to really make sure that the trust is there, the messaging is there, that everyone understands what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And that's the case in a lot of different therapies as well. The patient is not the one making the decision. I think for us at Amune, again, I, I work with an enormous amount of talent and, and we have people that look at this, not just from a therapeutic area, but from an emotional, social, mental perspective. We really go deep into what these allergies mean for people. For the parent, what does this mean? You are constantly in fear that your child, we all know as parents, we would give our life in a heartbeat to save our children from harm. We would take their pain. And so I think, again, that heart of Amune is, Amune was developed, I mean, years ago, actually, I don't know if you know this, Libby, but some parents came together with some academia and they started the company. And really that's sort of carried on throughout the whole journey of, of Amune and now with Nestle Health Science continues. We want to make a difference. When we reach out to those parents, we do need their trust because they're, they're literally giving their children what is deadly to them, right? When you think about the risk that those patients are taking, and I think First, I thank those parents. I applaud those parents. It's a dedication to get your child desensitized to peanut, but it's done methodically. We have visuals, we have education brochures, we have doctors that talk one-to-one with these patients that are trusted. And, you know, we show them in action, here's our data. We're not, you know, just saying, trust us, here's the science. And we've had stellar results. I mean, the results are, you know, there, filed, we have approval. It's pretty phenomenal. So getting the trust of that parent and then hopefully that parent telling another parent, right? And then that sort of cascades and becomes viral in a good way. When the trust is there, it it sort of really springs and it grows. And we're hoping to do more of that. And if any parents have any questions, we have great contacts at Amune that can really discuss any concerns they have one-to-one. And obviously their their doctors are also trusted because they they know them well. So I think trust is earned, but we have to be open to learning. Yeah, it's so important. It's interesting just to think about what one cares about before and after something hits home. We take things for granted so easily. So not just with cures for allergies, but also treatments for oncology and this vaccine that everyone is talking about now. Everything seems so far away until it really is literally at your dinner table. And then it's 
really important to be able to rely on the kinds of resources you've just described that the industry is able to provide us and lead us through really difficult situations. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, vaccines are polio, you know, measles. There's so many that when you look at historically what devastation they brought, you know, to mankind, it's just always a good reminder. We we should always learn from the past, right? And history. And I think uh, we just all need reminders. I mentioned I had two questions. So another piece that you mentioned before were the checks and balances that we have in the industry. So you really nicely went through what you see in at AMUN and the processes and the design and this just the general care that goes into these trials, even the communication to the families. But once we get through these trials and we get to the step of approval, a lot more happens there. I was wondering if you could maybe explain yeah, a little from well, that. We could all just dream of that, right? There's thousands of drugs that are filed for approval and maybe a few on a handful actually get approved. Our commitment doesn't end with approval. As a matter of fact, it continues even more diligently. For instance, Palforzia has a REMS program, which is enforced by the FDA. It's not that, oh, you proved that your drug works and you can you can deliver it safely and it does what it says, but they don't stop there. We have an obligation for years to come. And again, back to those These all cost money. These all require us to make sure that it's going to continue to be safe. It's also requiring post-market studies. We want to make it better. We want to take what we've learned in our phase three trial and we want to evolve. I think every pharmaceutical and, and drug that's approved is continued to be monitored, is continued to become better, and we still will go through those processes that we did originally to get there. That's the nice thing about it. It's the buck doesn't stop once once it goes to market. And in terms of checks and balances, what exists in terms of the double checking of a trial? What does the FDA do? <laughs> <laughs> double checking? It's it's more like quadruple checking and then have someone else do that again and then someone else do that again. Every every country has their own sets of requirements. So it's the, almost the same. It is the same. I mean, I'm not an expert in, you know, post-market regulatory, so you'd have to talk to somebody about that. But I do know that it's the same data, if not more robust. You have to generate data. You have to do it in a, in a GMP environment, which is highly regulated. The same data has to be generated to do something post-market. And then add on the complexities of now you have to go into that market and kind of reinvent or remarket and, and manufacture and get approval. So it's it's definitely not just double check, but just you know checked till it's just checked with every you know every every country will recheck before they approve in their country. And again, it's it's just that's why so many drugs don't make it through. People don't see the number of INDs that are filed. Uh, and really how many are approved. And, and even post-market, we've seen drugs actually are recalled. They, they're taken off shelves because that continued research shows information that now says this is no longer something that, that is advisable, right? So it comes off. I want to double back on this 
because the, the concept, and I think that what we're getting at is so incredibly important that once a drug gets through the trial phase, mm-hmm. we think of it as a black box. The government does something. What the government? Well, right. These regulatory bodies that are funded ultimately, right. So what happens here? Because when we're thinking about we can go back to the, you know, COVID vaccines. We can talk about the, you know, allergy medications. We, any drug that hits the market. So not post-market development. We're talking about before it hits the market. What happens there? Because we're in such an interesting moment where, again, everyone is an expert. What has happened now? Why does this black box exist in our lives in terms of I don't want to call it double checking because it's much more rigorous than that. But what's happening there for the verification of really looking at the efficacy of these compounds that have been developed? So, I mean, each company has a set of experts, right, that develop the protocols, review the data. Each company has multiple quality checks, quality control, quality assurance, And then you have your regulatory people. That's already four sets of eyes that have been on this data. And then safety, uh, pharmacovigilance. I mean, I I can keep listing the the groups of people that are reviewing this data. Now, it goes to the, let's just say FDA. Every country will have their own regulatory body that will have a counterpart that will, again, review the information and data. And, you know, just today we got an approval from the Irish authority on something that we had, we had to answer back three times. We had, they had questions. What is this? We need more clarification on this. And so it is a back and forth. There is that black box is almost like a ping pong table between the people that develop the drug and the people that approve it for use. And so there is a sort of that checks and balance in the in-between. And, and I think everybody, is, as I mentioned before, takes their jobs very seriously. I mean, and I think it's fair. It's absolutely fair for people that are scared. I don't want to grow a third eye. I don't want to be the first one to take this. Me- I mean, it's absolutely fair. And I think seeing it from their perspective helps me as someone on 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 this side of the process to make sure that I hold myself and my my colleagues accountable. So I think, you know, we can learn from folks that question us. And I think by doing that, we can have stronger checks and balances in place. And, and they're they're there, I assure you. And that's that was an easy one. I've worked on a an update from a regulatory perspective on a product that we spent almost a year going back and forth and they wanted to make sure it was safe and every single bit of data was verified and double verified. And so that does happen. There is not a black box. It's just so complicated that it's a little overwhelming. So it's not easily explained. Well, it's not easily explained because it's a rigorous process and we all rely on that to make sure that what we're ultimately grateful for and dependent on is is safe. So I think you've done a great job explaining the process in terms that it's not straightforward. There's a lot of questions. It's a ping pong game. What match? That's it's very important. It's a great analogy for it. And hopefully we all learn something. Just like ping pong. (laughs) It's fun. It's fun and frustrating. And you know, whether or not you win the match, 
you've been part of something, I think, in our industry. You know, you've been part of something, even medicines that haven't come to market. I worked on a medicine that I still just I'm so disappointed that did not come to market, which was, you know, an inhaler for migraine therapy that, you know, within the onset of 20 minutes of taking a puff, you didn't have a migraine for 72 hours. And I still hope that one day maybe that'll come to market. But why? It's a perfectly amazing drug. Perhaps the people that were working on it didn't play that game of ping pong well enough, right? And so that's why so many drugs are so old, you know, the drug itself, but getting it to patients sometimes takes 20 plus years. We have to make sure that every single one of those checkboxes, as a sponsor, as somebody that is a drug developer, that is checked before, again, as you said, it works and it's safe. That's sort of our guiding light, our North Star. Those are the two things we just really have to make sure happens. It's great to know that that is being considered on the other side. I think we, again, we take things for granted. 20 years seems like a lifetime. You know, it's such a long time to wait for something that is being worked on day and night by very dedicated individuals. And we just have to wait because we want to make sure these things are are safe, of course, Mm -hmm. to take. One thing I wanted to ask you was any truths behind the the black box of clinical development. So we're, we were talking about the black box of the regulatory approval step, but anything that is really important as a takeaway in terms of what's going on in the development stage and what are you looking at and what are the kind of driving forces and check boxes that you're having to check at that stage? Yeah, I think it's the same concept. It really is. In the, the development phase, We're taking a product, a molecule, whatever it is, and we're rigorously testing it against everything and any outcome possible. It's almost like a a chess game where every move impacts all the other moves, and we have to predetermine every single outcome of that chess game. And then we're going to play that chess game, every single outcome possible. Then we pick the best the best and fastest and safest possible move so that when we go into phase two and phase three, all we're doing is repeating and testing that move. Like the queen's gambit, she just knew where to go and she she went. And so phase three is really just testing that. Did we do all of those right? And, And along the way in phase two, what did we learn? So perhaps we have to adjust. Now we're in phase three. And so by the time you're in phase three, there should not be any changes to your actual product. You're just developing your arsenal of wins and hopefully a lot of them in lots of percentages to be able to take it to patients. And if in that massive sample set, right, massive number, you don't get close to where you need to be, then game over, right? Start from the beginning. That was a fantastic analogy. And I think that, I mean, the Queen's Gambit was very popular. And I hope that that answer really could reach a lot (laughs) of of people. That's fantastic. And the concept of having to start over is really important. And that happens a lot. And the statistics of the compounds that are successful moving out of phase one to phase two and three. And then again, that huge bottleneck at the regulatory approval step. It really, really creates fail-safes for what is on the market and available to us that, again, we're just able to go to the pharmacy and benefit from 
and not think about all of those man hours and years that have gone into the development. So yeah, thank you for giving us that very good analogy. One thing I also wanted to ask is terms of, we talked about, we spoke a little bit about media and misperceptions and is there anything that you wish would just stop in terms of, we're talking about gouging and the reputation of pharma, but that aside, what are those misconceptions that we really need to work on redefining to really help us align and be better for one another? Yeah, I think don't expect perfection. Nobody, no company, no human is perfect. I think there are things that in industry can be done better. For instance, making a mistake on a formulation is not mutually exclusive to ultimately getting a drug approved. I guess once that trust is is taken away, right? It's really hard mm-hmm. to get it back and I and I wish people would trust more the power of data, the power of science just because a particular molecule for instance had bad data doesn't mean that that same molecule cannot be via science proven to be better. So I think the biggest misconception is no drug is perfect, no human is perfect, no company is perfect. But I really wish people would understand that they we work towards that perfection, developing something that has all the properties to help. And yes, it may not be perfect, but it is as we've seen in the in the COVID vaccine, right? It's we have the Delta variant is coming through. But how many people are on ventilation right now? How many people are in hospitals? I mean, the flu used to literally kill people. And now we just we're used to walking up that same vaccine, right? Every year we modify it. It has to change. We have to evolve. This is biology. And I think the biggest misconception is when again, they think things can't change. People just see, oh, that. For instance, flu mist, right? Flu mist was approved. It was a game break, a game changer. I worked on it. It was the first product that I was able to bring to market, be part of a huge team to do. And it was a game changer. Now you can get a vaccine through your nostril. Well, several years later, it came off the market, right? Because that very product was now deemed not being safe, going back to what happens after approval. Well, as some of you know, it's it's back right? Flumist is now available. So it's just the biggest misconception is things change and it's okay. It's okay for things to change because that's just biology. I really like this as the ending, to be honest with you, because I I see us coming full circle and it is just biology. And we've talked about change in terms of process and how we've pivoted during the pandemic. And Nothing is perfect, but we're getting there, right? We, what are we getting right? I guess is the last question is, it seems like we're heading the right direction. We responded very quickly in the last, however many months, years. Yeah, no, I mean, the regulatory authorities have been phenomenal, I think. Again, what have we done right? Empathy, humanity, people have really shown a different side from a human perspective. 
We've seen things, people do things that we haven't seen in our lifetimes. And that I think is what we've done right. And that is what has been the ultimate driver, right? Everybody is just so dedicated to getting past this as a humanity. So together, I think we've done that right. We've done this together. And, and it's it's just, again, gives me chills to see what the human race can accomplish when we work together. I could not agree more. I appreciate your time today, Azadeh, and, and for giving us a peek behind the scenes and for shedding light on the humanistic aspect of the research findings and the people within the pharma industry. Well, it's been my pleasure. I loved the conversation. I hope it hits home with folks. And I hope, you know, the takeaway message people have is, is be open to change and change is good. Thank you for joining this episode of Trial Trends. If you enjoyed this discussion, then make sure to subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast platform or on 4gclinical.com. Until next time, we're your hosts, Kathleen Greeno and Libby Rickenbacker.